Our Bible reading this morning is from Luke chapter 4. We are going to read from verse 1 to verse 13. Our reading about the temptations of Jesus. If you are using the Pew Bibles, it's on page 1021. pray for us as we come before God's word. Lord, as we come to the reading and the preaching of your holy word, Lord, may your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Be our teacher, our Lord, this morning. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive as you speak to us in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Luke chapter 4, reading from verse 1. And Jesus, uh, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. We all know what it's like to face temptation. As someone once said, no person has ever found a place that can make him safe from temptation. There is no place on earth when you can go hiding in the face of temptation. The high court judge is tempted to bend the law when it suits him. The police officer is tempted to take a bribe to make ends meet. The school teacher is tempted to cheat on his tax return. The corporate executive is tempted to remove his wedding ring during a business trip. The man in charge of security is tempted to take a nap during his night shift. The elite athlete is tempted to boost his metabolism by using performance enhancement drugs. 
The busy parent is tempted to check his phone while driving. And the preacher is tempted not to preach from the book of Ezekiel. <laughs> uh, we all know uh, what it's like um, to face temptation. Uh, it's the experience of all men. Whether you are a Christian or not, uh, to face temptation. Uh, we are tempted to take what does not belong to us. We are tempted to say things we know we should not say. We are tempted to go places we should avoid. We are tempted to look at things we ought not to look at. It is not a sin uh, to be tempted. The sin is when we yield to temptation. The sin is when we are dragged away and enticed by the desires of our own hearts and fall into temptation. In our passage this morning, the devil uh, comes to tempt Jesus. Uh, Luke records for us three specific temptations. But as we will find out, where all of us, without exception, have failed, Jesus has overcome. Let's look at our passage together. I've divided it up, I've divided it up into three points following the three temptations faced by Jesus. So the first one, Jesus... I will continue to trust in the love and care of his Father, even in the face of extremely difficult circumstances. So let me say this again. Uh, Jesus will continue to trust in the love and care of his Father, even in the face of extremely difficult circumstances. The Bible has different names and, and different ways to describe the devil. Uh, he is called Satan. He's called the adversary. He's called the deceiver of the whole world. He's called a murderer, a liar, and the father of all lies. He's called the tempter, the slanderer, and the accuser. And in our passage this morning, the devil has come to tempt Jesus. Luke, the writer, uh, begins by showing to us that the devil is not afraid to prey on the weaknesses of his enemies. The devil appears to Jesus when he is weak. Luke tells us in verses 1 and 2 that Jesus has spent 40 days in the wilderness, which is a place that is dry and arid. Matthew tells us in his gospel that Jesus has been there in the wilderness, fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He has eaten nothing during those days. Jesus was hungry, and he would have been physically weak. And this is when the devil chose to come and tempt him. He comes to tempt Jesus when he is weak and hungry. And he says to Jesus in verse 3, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. In fact, the better translation here is, as since you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. That's the better translation, the more accurate translation. Since you are the Son of God command this stone to become bread. In our passage, not once will the devil dispute the fact that Jesus is the divine Son of God. On the contrary, he affirms it. Luke in his gospel has made it clear to us from the very beginning that Jesus is the Son of God. It was announced by the angel in Luke chapter 1. We find Jesus sitting in the temple in Luke chapter 2, where he says that he's sitting in his father's house. 
Jesus, when Jesus is baptized in Luke chapter 3, our senior pastor will come and preach from Luke chapter 3 for us. Before he went into uh, his surgery, he said to us, I've got my sermon ready on Luke chapter 3. Please don't preach from Luke chapter 3. Uh, he will come and do that. But uh, in, in Luke chapter 3, a voice uh, from heaven speaks, and God says to Jesus, uh, You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. And at the end of uh, chapter 3, when Luke records the genealogy of Jesus for us, Luke makes the same point. Jesus is the Son of God. So in our passage, the devil uh, does not dispute that Jesus is the Son of God. In fact, he affirms that Jesus is the Son of God. And on this basis, he says to Jesus, Well, since you are the Son of God, change this stone into bread. In effect, the devil is saying to Jesus, I can see that you are hungry. You have not eaten anything in 40 days. You have the power to change stone into bread. You should turn this stone into bread and feed yourself. Isn't this the sensible thing to do? And if we didn't know any better, we might be fooled to think that the devil uh, is making a reasonable request. Jesse Rall, the, Ang the Anglican bishop, once said, temptation to sin will rarely present itself to us in its true colors. Sin comes to us like Judas with a kiss. What he meant by that is that temptation to sin is always appealing, it's always attractive, there's always something inviting about it. So what's wrong here? Uh, uh, what harm could there be in changing stone into bread? Jesus is hungry, he's weak. His needs are, are real. He can change stone into bread. What's wrong with doing this here? Doesn't the Bible teach us that he changed water into wine at a wedding in Cana in John chapter 2? Doesn't the Bible teach that he multiplied five loaves and two fishes to feed thousands of people. Jesus has the power to turn stone into bread, but why did he not do it here? Well, the answer is in verse 4, where Jesus says, It is written, Men shall not live by bread alone. Now, this verse is taken from an Old Testament book. It is taken from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. In fact, the, on the free occasion that Jesus is going to reply to the devil, every time he will go back to that book, the book of Deuteronomy. And it is, so this first quote there is found in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. In this passage, Moses is addressing Israel. And the people of God on, on the border of the promised land, uh, like Jesus in our passage, uh, Israel is in the wilderness. Jesus is in the wilderness. After 40 years spent in the desert, the people of God are on the verge of beginning a new chapter in the life of the Old Testament community. And Jesus, in our passage, is about to begin his public ministry after 40 days spent in the desert. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8, right there on the border of the Promised Land, Moses addresses Israel. And he exhorts them to be faithful to God. And in his address, in his words to them, Moses reminds them of their past. Moses says to them, uh, remember, for 40 years, uh, the Lord has provided for you in the wilderness uh, when you were hungry. 
Moses reminds them that it was a time of testing from God. God wanted to know what was in their hearts. God wanted to know if they would trust him to provide for them during those 40 years. God wanted to know if they would trust in his promises and obey his commands, especially during times of trials. But Israel, whom God called his firstborn son, failed. Israel did not trust God to provide. Israel grumbled. Israel complained when faced with hunger. And now in Luke chapter 4 stands another son of God. Jesus, the son of God. He too is hungry. He too has been led in the wilderness by God. And the question is, will he be tempted in that moment to doubt the love, the care, and the provision of God for him? Will Jesus stand or will he like Israel fail? Please look with me at verse 4. This is Jesus' answer to the devil. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. By his answer, Jesus is drawing a parallel between the hunger that Israel faced in the wilderness and the hunger that he is facing now. And though he is able to change stone into bread, he refuses to do so because to do so would insinuate that he does not trust God to provide for him. In his hunger, having not eaten for 40 days, Jesus will not allow Satan to make him doubt the goodness and love of God for him. Jesus will not allow his personal needs, as genuine and real as they are, to become a stumbling block in his relationship with his Father. It was the will of God to send Jesus in the wilderness. And now Jesus was going to trust God to take care of him when he is in need. Even though he is hungry, even though he is weak, even though he can turn stone into bread, Jesus instead chooses to trust in God, that God will provide. It was the will of God that he should go into the wilderness. It was the will of God that he should stay there for 40 days and 40 nights. It was the will of God that he should be hungry. It was the will of God that he would be tested like Israel was tested. But where Israel failed, Jesus stood firm and refused to do anything that would go against the will of his Father. Jesus says to us in John chapter 4, he says those words, My food, my food, says Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And this is exactly what Jesus is doing here in this passage. He's submitting himself to the will of his Father, even when he's facing extreme hunger. Jesus will continue to trust in the love and care of his Father, even in the face of extremely difficult circumstances. The devil uh, doesn't play fair. Uh, he did not hesitate to tempt Jesus in his time of need. The devil will not hesitate to take advantage of our weaknesses either. It is often when we are vulnerable that the devil strikes. It is when we are sick or when we've just received bad news. It is when we are struggling in our faith. It is when we've lost our job or when our marriage is falling apart. 
The devil doesn't care if we're suffering. He will not hesitate to tempt us because he sees that we are weak or vulnerable or discouraged or in pain or frustrated or in need. The devil is the enemy of God and the enemy of the people of God. He's not our friend. He will do all he can to lead us away from God. He will do everything he can to make us doubt the goodness of God and the love of God for us, especially when we're hurting, especially when we're in pain. We must learn from Jesus' example and Jesus' commitment to obey and trust God even when it goes against or clashes against what we might see or perceive as genuine needs. There is something uh, deeply profound here in what Jesus is doing, this, this clash between what we might perceive as a deep, genuine, legitimate desires and needs and God's will for us. We might desire to be a parent, but it might not be the will of God that we should become one. We might desire healing, but it might not be the will of God that we should be healed. In those circumstances, how we respond can reveal where we are in our relationship with God. So that was our first point this morning. Our second point uh, looks at the second temptation. Jesus shows to us that no earthly treasure can tempt him away from worshipping God alone. The devil, the enemy of God, and the enemy of God's people does not give up easily. He is persistent, and he is not ready to give up yet. In verse 5, the devil takes Jesus up and shows all the kingdoms of the world to him. And he says to Jesus in verse 6, To you I will give all this authority and all their glory. And in this verse, the devil is trying to tempt Jesus by offering to him what a lot of people today want. Power, status, wealth, control, authority. Many people live and study and work for the sake of gathering wealth. For the sake of building up their status in the community. For the sake of gaining the approval of others. The devil offers to Jesus what a lot of people in the world think are the most important things in life. I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. I will give you all this power and authority, says the devil. I will give you status, fame, and glory, and you can have it all now, uh, with only one condition, says the devil. If you will worship me, just a little bow. And notice temptation always makes sin look small and unimportant. Uh, it's only a little thing. No one will mind. It's only a bow. And we should not think for a second that because the devil is offering all this to Jesus, that he indeed has the authority or the power to do it. In fact, what he is offering to Jesus is something that only God can give. And so in this second temptation, the devil is usurping an authority that does not belong to him, but belongs to God. The temptation here for Jesus is to accept from the devil what God promised to give to his son. Jesus will be exalted. Jesus will be crowned King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus will be given 
the seat of honor next to the Father. But it won't be without the journey to the cross. But here the devil is offering him instant gratification. Here the devil is offering to Jesus a shortcut to the throne. The devil is offering to Jesus a crown without a cross. The devil is offering to Jesus a throne without the thorns. But again, Jesus will not listen to the devil. Instead, Jesus replies to Satan by going to the Bible a second time. Jesus says in verse 8, it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Jesus says to the devil, You say worship me, but God says, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And again, Jesus goes from Deuteronomy, and this time from Deuteronomy chapter 6, where God uh, says to his people, said to Israel, when you cross over into the promised land, when you're finally there after 40 years in the desert, and when you enter the land and you receive your uh, inheritance, and the great cities and the houses are full of good things, when you receive the vineyards, the olive groves, uh, all the riches, take care, says the Lord, take care not to forget me. Jesus knows the danger of allowing the riches of this world to entice us away from God. Jesus knows all, that all temptation, all sin, all idolatry begin in the heart where God is dethroned. And something or someone else becomes more important than God. And so Jesus reminds us all of the first commandment, which is to love God, to serve Him, and to worship Him alone. Jesus knows that we need to get the first commandment right in order for all the other commandments to fall into place. Jesus knows that in our fight against temptation and sin, we need to love God more than we love anything else, more than we love our sins. So in this second temptation, Jesus refuses to allow the riches of this world to distract him from the truth that only God is worthy of our worship Jesus is teaching us that there is no treasure, no earthly kingdom, no amount of money, no earthly comfort, no amount of recognition or fame that can lead him away from worshipping the true God. Christianity is not popular. Christianity is not trendy. The message of Jesus is often mocked by those who do not believe in the gospel. But it is true. By faith in Jesus, we come to know the one and only God, the true God, the one who alone deserves our worship. And this is infinitely more important than any amount of earthly comfort and treasure. Jesus understood that no earthly pleasure is worth denying God. Jesus refused to exchange the worship of God for all the glory in the world. And we would do well to learn from his example. Jesus came into the world not to avoid the cross, but to die on the cross so that our sins would be forgiven. Jesus came into the world not to make himself rich, but to make himself poor, so that we, through him, might become rich. Jesus came into the world so that we would know God and worship him and serve him alone. Our third point this morning, looking at the third temptation, Jesus will not put God to the test. Now, in our passage this morning, we learn about the schemes and the, and the traps of the devil. The devil has many strategies. The devil does not give up easily. The devil can show a lot of resourcefulness. The devil can be unrelenting. 
The devil can tempt us in uh, many different ways. He is subtle. He is cunning. He doesn't say, have an affair. He says instead, you deserve to be happy. The devil doesn't say, you should steal from your boss. He says, you've worked so hard all year. You're feeling a little bit tired today. So what if you take a sick leave? The devil doesn't say you should hate this person. They are unforgivable. He says you gave them a chance. They messed up again. Now it would be better for both parties to stay away from each other. And so for the third time, the devil comes to Jesus, but this time with a different strategy. The devil takes Jesus to the highest point of the temple. And he says to Jesus, if you are, since you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. Jump. You have shown your faithfulness to God in the first two temptations. You should trust God again. You should jump. God will protect you. And the devil quotes the Bible back to Jesus. And the devil says to Jesus, and here are two verses that shows it, that proves it. So he quotes two verses from Psalm 91. But again, Jesus refuses to listen to the devil. He says to the devil in verse 12, It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus knows his Bible better. He knows how to read the Bible in context. He knows how to read the Bible in light of the rest of the Bible. Uh, Jesus says to the devil that we should not put God to the test. In the passage of the devil quotes, God is not encouraging believers to test his ability to protect them by taking reckless and unnecessary risk. Psalm 91 is not a psalm where it's not a passage that promotes foolishness or irrational faith. Jesus understands that we should not try to test God or provoke God or force the hand of God. The words of Psalm 91 are words of encouragement spoken by God to those who find themselves in times of trouble. In Psalm 91, God promises to protect his people and the psalm needs to be read in context and in the light of the whole Bible. The temptation here is to twist or misuse the word of God in order to back God into a corner in order to manipulate him. But the truth is we cannot twist the arm of God into doing what we want. We cannot bend the will of God to ours. Instead, like Jesus, we should learn to submit to God and submit to the things that God has taught us in his word. So Jesus refuses to put God to the test. Jesus knows that we should uh, read the Bible in light of the Bible. He doesn't make the Bible say what it does not say. And the episode closes in verse 13, where Luke says to us, When the devil has ended every temptation, a free or recorded for us, he departed from him until an opportune time. In other words, until the next opportune time comes for him to try again. But where does that leave us? Are there things here about the schemes of the devil that can instruct us? Yes, there are. We've looked at some of them already. The devil is, is cunning, he's subtle, he doesn't give up, and he will keep on trying. Are there things here from the temptations of Jesus that we ought to learn uh, from? For example, his commitment to the will of God. Yes. His trust in the provision of God. Yes. His dedication to the mission that God has given to him. Yes. His faithful interpretation of the Bible. Yes. All these things are good things for us to learn. 
But is this what this passage is ultimately about? Let me close with those final thoughts. Jesus once said to his disciples, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And then he says, The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. In this passage, among other things, Jesus is acknowledging a reality when it comes to temptation. What is this reality? We are weak. We are weak, each one of us. Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We all know what it's like to face temptation and fail, and fail miserably. Temptation comes to us in different forms and shapes and at different times. We do not always feel prepared to face them, or so is our excuse. In those moments of our lives, and those moments of our lives, we can really feel discouraged. Those moments of failure and sin can make us a question whether we are growing in our faith or not. They can really challenge us. And those moments of weaknesses and sin that can have terrible consequences in our lives, consequences that we may have to carry with us for the rest of our lives. But here is the good news that this passage gives to us. While it is true that we are weak, we know that Jesus is strong. In this passage, we see Jesus, the Son of God. And where we've all failed, He overcame. Though we are weak and though we are prone to wander from God and though we often fall into temptation, we have a Savior who has not. It's a passage that encourages us not to look inside ourselves, but to look outside ourselves to Jesus, the Son of God. He won where all of us have failed. When Satan tempted Adam and Eve, they sinned and the world fell into sin. When we read the Bible, we see the history of those who, like us, have failed to do the things that God requires of us. And so Luke is not saying to us, try to see if you can do better than them. No, he's not saying that. Luke is not saying, I try to see if you can perfectly imitate Jesus. He's not saying that. Luke is saying to us, Do you see Jesus, the Son of God? He is the one who has conquered sin. He is the one who has defeated every temptation. He is the one who has defeated Satan. He is the one who has conquered death. He is the one we ought to follow even if it costs us everything. The devil is our enemy, but Jesus is the friend of sinners. He gave his life to forgive us all our sins, all our temptations, and to forgive us the times when we have yielded to temptation. In the face of sin and temptation, he is our hope. In our weaknesses, we need to trust him. We cannot defeat temptation and sin alone. We need Jesus' help every day. The Bible says to us that because Jesus himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He is able to help you and I. In our times of need, we need to learn to go to Jesus. We are weak, but he is strong. And I want to leave you this morning with those three passages. They're very short. I'm just reading the passages. Three passages for us as we think about temptation. The first one is from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and verse 13. I want to leave this first 
uh, with you. This is from the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth and to us. And he says, No temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But when the temptation, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way to escape that you may be able to endure it. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he has also provided a way to escape. Now, in the strength that God gives to us, uh, when we are tempted, we ought to re be reminded of those verses that the Lord will not allow us to be tempted more than we can endure, and that he will provide a way for us to escape. The second passage is from Ephesians chapter 6. There again, Paul, uh, he's speaking to the church at Ephesus. He says, uh, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Stand therefore, having fasted on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and our shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, uh, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. <coughs> the Lord has provided an armor for us to use, and He's given to us the gift of prayer. And finally, the last passage is from James chapter 4, reading verses 7 to 8. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. We are weak, but in the battle against temptation and sin, we have the Father, the Spirit of God, and Jesus on our side to help us. Alone, we can do nothing. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we, uh, we thank you for providing for us in Christ a Savior uh, who took on flesh and dwelt among us so that he might identify with us sinners. We thank you for providing in Christ a Savior who, by his perfect obedience, has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. We thank you for giving to us in Jesus a Savior who, unlike us, has never yielded to temptation or sin, a Savior who has conquered our enemy, a Savior who has nailed our sins to the cross, and paid his price in full. A Savior who has given to us his righteousness, so that by faith we might stand before you justified. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus our Lord. We give you thanks and praise for where all of us have failed, Jesus conquered. And through him you have called us to yourself. And through him you have brought us into your kingdom. And through him we will one day find eternal rest in your presence, um, as well as an eternal home. And all this, Lord, we pray and give you thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen.